you know, layer companies using vets, you know, people are like, oh, I don't really want a vet, but I have to because of my, you know, customer or because of uh, VFD rules or for avian influenza or whatever you want to name it. But I really think once we start working with producers, they're like, I think we sh- maybe we should have that like 20 years ago. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> they do realize the value of your services. Yes. We have pretty good return on investment um, for our services and hopefully then some. So it's always nice to see like that we're actually helping make an impact and not just checking a box sort of thing. And I imagine that'll continue to be more important. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming soon. The brightest minds of the global poultry industry will be right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Adiseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable ways. DSM, helping customers with efficient and sustainable poultry production. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. At JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operations safe. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium giving young animals a healthy start. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. I'm your host today, Karen Grogan. And I'm joined today by um, one of my poultry veterinarian colleagues, Dr. Dan Wilson. Dan is the principal veterinarian at Wilson Veterinary Company, uh, which is a private uh, poultry practice uh, headquartered in Indiana. And um, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are in your career right now? Yeah, so go way, way back. Um, I grew up as a menagerie kid that uh, didn't fit in with my family a whole lot who were kind of into engines and welding and building things. I was the kid that was collecting animals and eventually that turned into backyard poultry and 4-H. So that was kind of my very beginning and I had no, you know, background in farming, livestock or um, commercial poultry, of course. Um, kind of grew up with the standard, I want to be a mixed animal practitioner, um, you know, average dog, cat, horse, cattle vet uh, for us, for my hometown or something. And then after I transitioned to uh, college where I went to Purdue University for animal science, I realized first I was like, oh my gosh, there's like hundreds of people that want to be vets and it's like a little overwhelming and it's competitive. So everybody's in the same boat. I actually quit pre-vet and uh, was just an animal science major for two years because of that. And as part of that, I did the Midwest Poultry Consortium, had externships with several poultry companies in the Midwest, mostly layers and turkeys. And one of those visits, um, a poultry veterinarian uh, Dr. Beckman, Bernie Beckman, was um, at one of our farms, and I did not even know a poultry veterinarian existed. So that was kind of my first exposure. And then I thought, this is something I could probably be good at. So um applied to vet school and was fortunate to get in um, 
and stay in Indiana at Purdue. And so after that, I um, dived into the poultry world after I finished vet school. Awesome. I, I think a, a lot of us uh, sort of cross paths with, with someone who um, make, helps us realize, oh, this poultry veterinarian, uh, you know, maybe this is something I'm interested in. So we, uh, a lot of people share that uh, common background uh, of how we arrived in the poultry industry. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Wilson Veterinary? what you guys do and um, format of your practice and what your specialty areas are. Yeah. So further part of my history was that I ended up working as an on-staff veterinarian after graduation. Um, Didn't do a residency or any additional uh, studies after vet school was a little burnt burnout from uh, eight years at one campus, but um yeah, so I started there and was there just short of five years. Uh, I always tell people the first at least year, I don't believe I did anything other than, you know, learn how to be an adult. <laughs> so uh, I was there for five years and uh, it kind of just worked out as good uh, coincidence that I could leave to start my own practice and still serve uh, the company I had been employed with and some other producers that were looking for help. And so it was supposed to just be me, you know, operating independently and working with a couple of egg producers. And then I quickly found that there was a lot of interest and a lot of opportunities of more poultry producers, mostly egg producers that were interested in working with a vet. Not something they could support a full-time staff person, but something where they could use a resource a couple of times a year. And so with that, over the last five years, we kind of expanded. We've added two additional field vets um, in Minnesota and Iowa. We have 17 states that we work in with two more pending. So uh, lots of state licenses between the three of us, but mostly we focus on commercial egg layer medicine and um, producers that need help. What what would you say is the average size? I mean, I know I know that you service some large complexes, but um, you know, what's the smallest producer that you work with? Smallest individual flocks. We have some as low as maybe like four or five thousand, uh, or three thousand even. Um, of course, they're parts of larger uh, integrated operations. So, I think the smallest individual operation we work with is around a hundred thousand up to um, 20 plus million. So quite a spectrum in flock sizes and company flock totals. What, you know, as sort of, and you kind of alluded to it, that there's a size of company and they can't really support a veterinarian on their own. Um, How have you crafted your practice to try to support those companies? What are some features of your practice or um, services that you offer that maybe say someone else who just, you know, hangs up their shingle as a consultant? Um, what's unique for, for your practice? Well, really, I think from my limited knowledge of like Europe or even other livestock species like swine in the U.S., there's a great deal of independent practices um, anywhere from individual people to whole you know, 15 to 30 vet 
operations that work with producers independently. So that was really has been my model from the beginning was that why not structure something similar for poultry? Of course, we still have geographic limitations and we have uh, biosecurity limitations on where we can go and when we can go. Um, I guess what would set us apart is we really focus on being as if we were integrated with the staff. Obviously, we're not employees, so we don't know every day-to-day detail. But, you know, if operations have a, you know, weekly call or Zoom meeting, we get on that. We're constantly reviewing records, basically pretending, you know, hey, we're here for you 24-7. And then that's kind of mixed in with how much time we can actually physically be on site for farm visits. Right. Becomes hard when your practice expands and you increase your clientele, then the time you have for each client um, dramatically decreases and spread yourselves. Even though there's, you know, more than just you, it uh, reduces your time. So um, Dan and I have worked uh, together in the past and um, I've done some posting sessions and things with Dan and Dan appreciates technology. Um, he is far more technologically advanced than me. I'm still old school, uh, pen and paper, um, type of person. So Dan, what, uh, what technology do you incorporate into your practice, either through, um, looking at data, looking at production numbers, um, analyzing things for postings or, um, what, what's your favorite tech toys right now? Yeah, I guess, first of all, I've, I've been labeled as an early adopter before. So uh, I guess I am kind of into gadgets and my wife thinks I'm crazy for all the little gadgets and automations I put on our house and things. But um, I'm not by any means the, I'm in line at the Apple store when the new phone comes out. I'm not that bad, but I do like technology. Um, I was actually going to jump back to a story before go into some of the things we use because I was telling the story yesterday and I thought, wow, this actually fits really well and people will appreciate it. When I started as an on-staff vet at um, the company after I graduated, I had been given a file drawer of basically the entire health history of this company for like anywhere from 10 to 30 years some of it all the way back to like personal handwritten notes from Dr. Winterfield at Purdue um, all the way up to, you know, copies of old serology and virology things that had been done through that time. So that was handy. I mean, I wasn't around when the diagnostics were done, but some of it was cool because those farms still exist today, either renovated or reconstructed. So some of the same issues or challenges can be there. But after I started, I kind of did the the usual thing. You know, all of our posting sessions were pen and paper. You know, we would type up email summaries or Word document summaries to send out after. But some things would go into shared folders or folders on our desk, you know, desktop computers and stuff like that. Well, I was actually, I guess that'd be four years after being there. I was having someone house sit for me while I was at the AAAP meeting, ironically, in Boston. 
um, my my office for that company and our lab was actually in the basement of the house I lived in. And, you know, they called me or actually I think they sent me text pictures of my basement office flooded three to four feet deep in water. And so that that file drawer with um, the last 30 to 40 years of lab results that I sometimes picked through was floating away. Um, All of our posting records from four to five years floating away, lab reports, everything. You know, some of that was digital and some you could retrieve from diagnostic labs if they still had it, but a big pain. And so I really kick myself because I know technology was is always evolving really fast and 2022 is different than 2015. But, you know, like that was really like a big head shaker. Like, I can't believe I'm never going to know that again other than what's in my head. And so really we started whenever I started by myself as Wilson Vetco was right around the time we started using a lot more cloud-based database saving of documents um, and actual saving of posting session um, scoring and records in an actual online database. And so now to jump into some of those things, um, what we use on almost every farm visit is Path Pro, uh, which is a posting software that Fred Hare developed under his business and for his clients. And we kind of, you know, uh, grabbed onto that and have helped develop that a little bit over the last four or five years. But now all of our mortality and wellness bird posting data goes into that. Um, If there's reception on a farm, uh, cellular reception, we put it directly in the cloud and I can literally be the end of a posting session and turn the computer or iPad around and say, here's the summary and it's saved and it's not going to get lost on a piece of paper or have a piece of paper covered in chicken juices and things. So the uh, posting database has been really, really fun because every time we get another bird in there or another farm visit, it just gets better and better. Uh, We can break things out by strain and housing style and history by year. Uh, the last I checked, we have somewhere north of 20,000 mortality in there and probably like 10,000, seven to 10,000 wellness bird postings from five years in there. So it starts to get a lot more powerful <laughs> the more we get in there. The more, the more data. And then is that something that um, you mentioned it was this Path Pro software um, that Dr. Fred Hare developed? It, is there like an IT, you know, I need IT support occasionally. It, is, do you have someone that you keep, you know, part time to help you with that? Or when, when you get a product like that that's developed, you know, maybe pretty specifically by someone, um, maybe it doesn't come with the support. So how do you deal with that? Well, fortunately, PathPro is, uh, Fred, Fred Hare's son is a database management expert, uh, by career. So we have an inside uh, person for the IT fixes that need help, but it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It's just 
data stored in a cloud um, database. And so it's not all that different from broiler posting software that's existed before. It's just we've never really had a take on it for layers. And so this is kind of our option for layers. So we do have to maintain the flocks and the data. You know, say we we do do a handwritten posting session, we have to key that in later, but at least it gets saved permanently. Right. I, I, I guess that was, you know, more it, what's been done in the past in terms of like, say, broiler posting, like that's the company, like a specific company has that database. And then that data stays within, you know, that, you know, pharmaceutical or, or nutrition company that that's coming to do that. So, um, being a private practice, you know, veterinarians, um, you're clearly more technical, technically savvy, but maybe because it's cloud-based, maybe that makes it easier. Um, and you don't need the type of support that maybe less, uh, I guess I'm maybe generationally people get a little more (laughs) challenged with technology. Um, and then, then in any other like uh cool, you know, having the software is great in terms of uh analyzing data. What other um you know other cool gadgets or um things do you incorporate into your farm visits? Yeah, the other big thing, um somewhat storytelling again, is I did work in a small animal practice in junior high. To high school in my hometown. We literally were a vet, a technician, and us as high school students assisting. Um, you know, that was 2001 to 2004 when I was in high school at that time. We had a computer with veterinary practice software, even in that tiny of a clinic in a small town. And so fast forward to when I graduate vet school and work for several years as a poultry vet, I sit here going, how come poultry vets keep all of their records in Word documents and PDFs and scratch notes and emails, email folders? It's really not a great veterinary record. Um, you know, no one really questions poultry vet record keeping, but I started to think, you know, there's probably a better way to handle all this. You've got prescriptions, you've got regulatory testing, you've got um, biosecurity plans, welfare plans, farm visit reports, posting session reports, all the lab results that come back across, you know, all the different states we work in. And so we've developed our own kind of veterinary practice software um, that's also cloud-based. So me and our whole team, if one of us puts something in there, we all have access to it. Um, and so that's been really helpful. Uh, We kind of had to do some of it from scratch, but I feel a lot more confident about being able to find things and not, not rely on what's in my head or digging through a file drawer or wondering where a Google drive folder went or something like that. So we're kind of still have that as a work in progress, but kind of our dashboard where we have everything flowing through there all the time. That's definitely more organized than uh, I think a lot of people. I I I absolutely agree that as poultry vets, we are um, 
a little too casual with our veterinary records. Um, I think if we were ever uh, investigated, I think it's probably a good, <laughs> your system would uh, definitely be better than most of us. Um, a lot of people do use some type of a cloud-based system for prescriptions. Um, and that, you know, that's a pretty important part of our veterinary record. But I, I think a lot of, you know, the note-taking and <clears throat> everything, uh, we could all benefit from electronic uh, cloud-based type of system. It actually, it has all sorts of bells and whistles, of course, but it even automatically pulls in our emails with customer communication. Oh, wow. It has all of our farm addresses, premise IDs, contact infos, cell phone numbers. So it makes our day-to-day lives easier that we're not constantly, hey, what's so-and-so's cell phone number? Or did you right. send this to them? Yeah. And then is that a, was that a veterinary package that you adapted or you had all of this custom developed? We've kind of casually taking a, like a CRM customer relationship software and customize it to our needs. So it's not an out of the box package thing, but we've made it uh, work for our needs pretty well. And then from a, from a customer standpoint, it's, it's cool as well because they all face the same record keeping issue from time to time. And there's been times where people have been desperate, like, uh, we can't find this result and we need it for an audit like tomorrow. <laughs> so, now the auditor sitting or the auditor sitting in their office right now. Yeah. yeah. So we have everything in there by company, by region, complex, farm, house, and flock. So you can query it almost any way you want and have it in a snap to, to get back out. And so then your clients, you have a, uh, a portal or dashboard, whatever terminology you care to use, your clients have a way to access it or they have to contact you to then get access to the data. Uh, we haven't gotten that far yet. That would be a hope someday. Oh, come on, um, man. You're supposed to be like ahead of the curve. <laughs> so no, we no, still have I, to fetch I, it ourselves. Yeah. But okay, but that's still. For scheduling purpose, the other big thing is we can make diagnostic testing programs, surveillance programs, MPIP or uh, FDA programs. But if people don't remember to take those, um obviously there's a lot of issues that can be developed. So one thing that we really want to focus on is building out scheduling so that people get kind of like a small animal practice reminders, you know, checklists. Yeah. That's what like just went my head, like get an email reminder. Hey, you got to pull your, you know, fluffies do for their rabies. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Flock 16. You need to go, (laughs) go turn in your, uh, boot swabs or whatever. Um, What's been the biggest advantage to um, getting to that electronic record system for your team? I think for our sanity, whether or not anybody cares if we save all that or how, you know, how that's all organized as we try to grow and add more vets uh, the communication aspect of it to be able to see what everyone else has already done and have a record of it instead of constantly bugging each other. Like, did you do this? Or have you seen, have you, do you know the cell phone number of Joe or do you have so-and-so's email? Like 
was creating a lot of work internally for us to not have all that, you know, in one central place. So if anything, it's really helped us um, be able to work together as a group within our practice, but it also has outward facing cool aspects as well. I think so. I I think that could give you some major advantages in terms of client, you know, like we were just talking about client communication, um, you know, it can generate, you know, almost, uh, like timely reminders of even like routine maintenance types, you know, you could, you could really narrow it down to a lot of things that you could, uh, send to clients. And, and we're working on a team myself at the university, like you're, the way you're talking about in terms of, you know, communication in between, um, the, you know, the veterinary team in terms of, okay, you saw this case. Now I've seen this case. And, and sometimes the loop never gets closed because you've each communicated on something separate. Um, but having a central record system, that would be great to keep everything together. And then, Oh wait, okay. So then we saw one more case and then it, you know, keeps, keeps everything in a communication flow. Awesome. Um, okay. So since your group does tend to focus on the layer industry, um, as many of us here in the U S know, the layer industry has been significantly impacted by avian influenza this year. Um, what, um, what are you doing to help support your clients as we're moving into the fall and, um, we're starting to see, um, more positives, uh, being reported, um, so how are you facing this challenge with your clients? Mm, can that be like a no comment section? I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, just kidding. Cross your fingers and your toes. And I mean, uh, I mean, we're doing our best to keep, um, top to bottom, like company leadership informed and try to put out materials for the individual service flock service people or caretakers um that can be a value and trying to make sure everybody's prepared with you know proper testing supplies um shipping coolers that they have all their premise ids i mean all of all of those preparation things of course everyone typically is probably doing um when we find communication that we're able to share we try to get that in the hands of people um sharing these wild bird hunter harvest findings, you know, that's information you can communicate down the, you know, employees at individual companies just to make them aware, like, Hey, this is, this was an issue like 20 miles from here. So we got to keep on the A game. Um, so there's that. And we've also made, um, handout type things to post in break rooms on clinical lesions um, in English and Spanish, um, actual pictures from birds with avian influenza this year. Um, so they're very, rather than just textbook images, they're actual real world images that caretakers can watch for. And then really as usual, just helping people when they have mortality issues and making sure we follow the right steps if they need to be AI tested and get that taken care of. So every incoming call feels a little tense, but, you know, we always breathe a sigh of relief when we, when we know like, oh, this, this looks a lot more like X. I don't feel like 
Right. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And for some reason, these calls always happen. We, we are recording this on a Friday afternoon and they always, at least for me, these sort of crazy calls happen on a Friday afternoon. So hopefully. You yeah. It's coming any minute. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Um, so then what do you see as, um, you know, the layer industry is constantly evolving. Um, we are, the, the industry is evolving in terms of um, food safety, welfare, um, housing, lighting. Um, what, what do you see as the future in terms of, you know, what, what, what are the next five years going to look like for the industry, um, either with the clients that you work with? Um, you know, maybe some of it is because of the impacts of avian influenza. I don't, I don't know. Just a topic to pick your brain on in terms of, you know, where do you see things evolving? Ooh, I didn't really mentally prepare for that one. I mean, like a lot of livestock species, there's a lot of ambiguity and indecision on what that may look like, either by legal standards or uh, retailer standards and that sort of thing. So there's so much that's up in the air. I'm not sure I have the right crystal ball to even make uh, guesses. Right. I would assume, you know, when you talk about avian influenza, you know, maybe people will start to, you know, reflect on population density, like concentration of poultry operations when they're considering either like new locations and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, proximity to ponds and wildlife refugees, refugees and things like that, that maybe could be a factor. Yeah. Here in Georgia, we've had buzzard roosts um, be an issue. Like who would have ever known that you needed to research like the closest buzzard roost? Like, yeah, uh, you know, site biosecurity, I think is going to be something that we will have to carefully consider if things continue. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, talking about the ponds and wildlife refuges, like who would have ever thought we'd need to know about buzzard ecology and where they roost and their role, their role. And like, we've always known, yes, wild waterfowl, but you know, these, um, you know, other like vultures and buzzards and yeah, never part of the system. So I do feel like if there's one thing I can predict is that, I guess, shameless plug for veterinarians, but all of those things you mentioned imply that there's going to be need for more veterinarians on farms, helping with those decisions, yeah. helping with new health challenges and management challenges and those sort of things. So I only expect that to change even more. And, you know, some of the growth in you know, layer companies using vets, you know, people are like, oh, I don't really want a vet, but I have to because my, you know, customer or because of uh, VFD rules or for avian influenza or whatever you want to name it. But I really think once we start working with producers, they're like, I think we sh maybe we should have a vet like 20 years ago. Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> I do realize the value of your services. Yes. We have pretty good return on investment um, for our services and hopefully then some. So it's always nice to see like 
that we're actually helping make an impact and not just checking a box sort of thing. And I imagine that'll continue to be more important. I think, I think a lot of the layer industry as a whole, um, were until the, um, enforcement of the VFD, when all of that changed, I think that a lot of them were very, you know, we don't, we don't need a veterinarian. And I think that with that change, um, like you said, okay, they needed a, a service to check a box and then they have realized, oh, wait, you can help me with X, Y, and Z. And um, they really do realize the value um, of practices like yourself or even, you know, extension veterinarians or university um, veterinarians. The larger companies, um, you know, for the most part have, have veterinarians supporting them. Yeah. And then in terms of, you know, as, as veterinarians, everyone thinks we, we, well, you know, they think we just diagnose diseases. Um, so, you know, we touched on avian influenza. That's kind of a, a big thing. What, what are sort of, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing, um, in layer flocks and, um, what can we do as a profession to try to, um, improve things? Well, I suppose with, you know, the onset of any type of cage-free system, whether that be aviary, floor birds, outdoor access birds of whatever type is obviously our bacterial and parasitic challenges are totally shifting from what they were before. I feel like bacterial challenges will be a, a major thing that we'll have to deal with. I mean, we already see it in operations that haven't even been built or you know, retrofitted, but only a few years, and we're starting to see the the usual suspects, not just E. coli, but Pasteurella and Erysipelas and Coryza. Erysipelas, the Campy Hepaticus, those outdoor little puddles. So I don't know if uh, pullet suppliers like it uh, or pullet farm uh, employees, but I imagine vaccine programs will have to expand to match a lot more needs which is always hard on, you know, labor and hard on, harder on the pullets by doing more vaccines. But I really think that we'll be doing a lot more autogenous and bacterial vaccines in a lot of flocks. What, again, you might need to pull your crystal ball out for this one. Um, one of the limitations of those bacterial infections that we're talking about is we don't have a lot of choices for treatment um, in terms of birds that are in production. Um, do you think that we will, you know, get to a point where we can, we might get treatments back um, in terms of, you know, either mortality will get to certain levels um, that we can get labels back um, that we used to have? I know that, you know, some of the veterinary groups have these discussions on the regular in terms of, you know, it would be nice to have more treatment options. So have any insight in your crystal ball on that one? Not really, I guess. Or or a wish a wish list, maybe. <laughs> I don't really sit around stewing on it because it doesn't seem like a possible future in my crystal ball that will have those options. So I you know, we usually focus more on what we can do, whether that be something like water sanitation or um prebiotics, um and then, of course, vaccine programs and focusing heavily on that. Uh, so we usually jump right to prevention. I don't, 
I don't sit around and stew. I mean, from brief experiences in other parts of the world, I do get a little envious that they have more options for birds at inlay, but um, it's not something I sit around every day uh, or I can't sleep at night or something. Right, right. I think we're, you know, just as a topic to discuss, like for me, there's a like an internal, like for certain cases, it's like, oh, I really wish, you know, I know that an antibiotic would work here um, and, and it could decrease mortality, like could be very effective. And as a veterinarian, we took an oath, you know, to alleviate animal suffering. So it's just a like, like, you know, it would be great um, just if we could, I don't know, just a personal, you know, wish, you know, it'd be great. I just had a little bit more that work. Yeah. And not, you know, some of it's straightforward stuff, even like, um, you know, CTC labeling for, for water soluble application instead of feed only, like that's very straightforward. Right. That's very straightforward. Right. Exactly. That is like, a wish okay, list. Okay, so we're cleared to put it in the feed. Yes, that's a wish list. Let's just get to where we could get the one that we have and we could give it in the water. Like, that would be great. There's other supportive products too, like uh, when you talk about aspirin usage that could could aid a flock or something. Well, if you, in the U.S., if you ask Farad or, you know, contemplate it with other vets, it's basically a no for egg layers because egg we, layers. Don't have, we don't have clearance to do so. So you hear about things yeah. that are done in other countries and you go, oh, I don't feel comfortable doing that because <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be the one that gets in trouble here. But I know they use it in another country. Or... They use it in other countries, yes. And other countries have a lot more antibiotics that are cleared for eggs, like have data to support it. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother. I'm going to put my can opener away. It's time for our famous three. JBI helps poultry producers fight against harmful pathogens with the foaming power of D7 disinfectant. JBI prevents costly outbreaks and ensures eco-friendly biosecurity on farm and in transport. D7 disinfectant is safe and effective against AI, E. coli, Salmonella, Cocci, Dermatitis, and other illness-causing pathogens. It is non-toxic, providing a safer environment for your employees. D7 is also minimally corrosive to equipment and breaks down biofilms. Learn more at jbidistributors.com. You, uh, much like the technology, you're, you're kind of up to date on, you know, latest and greatest. Um, and in terms of running your team and managing people, how do you stay current in, you know, being a good manager? What are some, you have any books you've read lately, anything for our audience? You're like, oh, you have to go read this or go listen to this podcast or, you know, uh, any, the any tips for our audience? <laughs> well, the poultry podcast. Yes. No. What, uh, what are some things that, you know, you use to, um, team building exercise with your team? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe you should ask them that, <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, we are all very virtual, of course, very far apart, and it makes very little sense for us to be together because of biosecurity, so we're almost always apart, uh, except for meetings, and uh, maybe like once a year we get together in person, but I mean, we do a lot of things virtually. 
Uh, we kind of have group group chat sessions and those sort of things to keep us all on the same page, but it's nothing mind blowing that we do. Um, we try to have occasional Zoom type Zoom or Google Meet type meetings just to have some FaceTime and talk about things that are going on. I think uh, if I had a resource, oh, I was supposed to prepare this, wasn't I? I forgot to think of a good resource. No, but. you don't have to be. No, you don't have <laughs> to prepare. I mean, it's just a, off the top of your head. Some people have, you know, oh, I love, you know. I'm an internet scourer, if that would be my recommendation. And I'm not just saying uh, go read Wikipedia for everything you need to know, but I I go deep on the internet with keywords. I manipulate different combos of keywords. I find a speaker or somebody that writes a paper um, that I thought was interesting on whatever topic I'm looking at. And I go to find that speaker and I look at the list of their other publications. And I don't know, sometimes I probably spend way too much time on it. But actually, as an example, we've had an unfair number of spotty liver cases this summer that we're actively working on. And um, we have some colleagues in the U.S. with experience, but we're a bit behind some other parts of the world, I guess. And so I was just looking for spotty liver and different combinations. And I come across names of people and I search their names and I find uh, a colleague in Australia who gave a presentation on autogenous vaccine. And then I end up, we ended up emailing her and talking about her PhD she's doing on spotty liver. And our team had an hour long um, Google meet session with her a week ago. And there were things that we'd never seen in a textbook, never seen published, never seen presented in the U S. And so it doesn't, just it, by, it doesn't make its way here. Yeah going down that wormhole and finding the people with experience and friend them on LinkedIn and probably annoy them, chasing them down to see if I could set up a call or something. But the, the internet, the internet is so powerful. So very persistence pays off. Yeah. That's, that's the message there. I, I think, I also think that what you're describing is the beauty of our industry. Um, like you said, you contact someone across the world. Um, it, we're, we're all in, in the same small industry. Like there's, you know, not very many of us and we're all trying to do the same thing. Our goal of, you know, feeding the world. And, and I, I think everybody in general is usually very welcoming and, and open in terms of, sure, I'll explain to you what we've done. Um, so yeah, it's I pretty amazing. Part of the, I mean, we had to work yeah. out two, well, three time zones, two in the U.S. And, time zone and difference. Yeah. there's in Australia and she had to get kids dropped off at school and stuff. But we made it happen and she gave us an hour of amazing information that we wouldn't have found for several more years. So, <laughs> so it helped us uh, dispel a couple ideas and come up with a few new ones at least. Awesome. Um, so if you, I know that you have a lot of students that come and extern with you, you are very welcoming, um, to, uh, veterinary students and probably poultry science students, and you're giving back, uh, much like people have given, 
um, to you as a student. Uh, what's advice that you give them in terms of trying to find their way in the industry? Um, I guess it depends what stage of poultry experience they are. You know, some of us start a lot earlier than others that don't find out about poultry till halfway through vet school. But I mean, the diversity of experience makes a big difference. I do wish as a student, I could have gotten more broiler experience. I've only been in six or seven broiler houses in my life. So I'm very foreign to that world other than what I hear through colleagues. But um, I did spend a fair amount of time in turkeys and, and layers. And so that's kind of where I ended up, you know, focusing my career on. But definitely anything from research to uh, R&D or university extension, uh, a variety of species or go with a poultry vet who sees more than just, you know, one species or type of production would be really helpful. I think that's great advice. I also, I did a swine externship because I don't remember why, but <laughs> I did a swine externship. Pigs are cool too. And, uh, I mean, so much of that is unique to kind of see another livestock sector. Um, so six weeks working in a private swine practice gave me a lot of the ideas of how we built our practice today. Um, even though the diseases are totally different and the production styles different in some ways. I mean, even other experiences in other sectors can be helpful. I totally agree. I, I, like all through vet school, I, I knew I wanted to do production medicine and I was beef, cattle, swine, poultry. And I was like, I can't decide. I like them all. So I spent, you know, a lot of time in, in each one, but I, I completely agree that there is a lot of overlap. Like none, the other two aren't quite as integrated as we are necessarily, but you know, uh, yeah, their, their practice models are a little different. Like I even went, like I worked with a feedlot vet in the panhandle of Texas. Like, you know, I, I look back on that and I, you definitely pick up pieces of, you know, either, you know, the disease models or how they deal with things. Um, I think it, it all builds on your knowledge. No doubt. Completely agree. I appreciate your time. It was great uh, having this conversation with you. And uh, thanks for uh, all your insight and cool technology and your um, unique databases that you use in your practice. And uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Dan.